Wine and Crime contains graphic and explicit content which may not be suitable for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. friends chug wine chat true crime and unleash their worst minnesotan accents Ah! amanda you get you get you getting a grip i'm good i don't know why i'm so tired well depression i'm tired yeah it's 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 late april and freezing where you are yeah exactly that might have something to do with it it's so bad the sun is out a little bit right now which is nice can you Um, go in your hot tub later yeah, mm. if it's uh, it's supposed to get into the, to the 40s this evening. Ooh, balmy. So if that <laughs> happens, I might take a dip after our little happy hour tonight. Oh, that's right. Mm-hmm. Happy hour as we record this. Mm-hmm. Our Patreon exclusive happy hour live stream hour mm-hmm. will be happening. Uh, so that happens once a month. And patrons at $5 a month or higher have access to that. Yep. Mm-hmm. Five right. and higher. Same with, oh, yeah. same with videos mm-hmm. of it's our really, regular Thursday episodes. It's really, really fun. A lot of quick anecdotes. A lot of, it's kind of like an ask me anything. Yeah, we do hour. like a Q&A for the hour and just hang out with you guys. Mm-hmm. And we love it. It's, it's our favorite really thing. Fun. There's like a live, live chat running so you can ask mm-hmm. your most burning questions i'm gonna be honest i don't miss special thanks at all i, I love don't. the happy hours i love the happy so hours. much the happy hour. so much it's more so, interactive yeah scooch on over to our patreon and, and check it out okay uh we also have one other butt plug before we get into oh this episode is that so and that is that we are doing another podcast review Drawing. Oh, a little giveaway. A little giveaway. So uh, we're expanding it this time. So if you leave us a five star, I mean, <laughs> technically you could technically you could leave any number of stars, but it is a te- random drawing, so it almost doesn't matter. But we'd appreciate. It. I still really want a one star person to win. I want the Guantanamo Bay person to win. <laughs> if we if we did enough drawings, at some point they would. But anyway, I know. and then we send them merch. <laughs> anyway, leave us a good fucking review on yeah. App, Apple Podcasts and before what was the cutoff? May f- May f- before May thirty first, twenty twenty two. And you will automatically be entered in this drawing to win a set of our new shot glasses. Mm-hmm. And also an I Am Not Well hat. Mm-hmm. Those which are flying off the shelves. Yeah, they They're really are. So you can get them for free 99. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So just leave that review and you'll automatically be entered. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Did we say who we were yet? Oh, fuck it. I'm Kenyon. You uh-huh. don't know that. You probably don't want to leave a review. Maybe you're new. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm Lucy. Wow. I'm Amanda. I'm exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> We're sick of being ourselves. So <laughs> we have a very special gal's pick for this very special episode number. 
It is I love episode. when we write in fan picker us in the notes in all <laughs> caps. Thanks to us. Us. <laughs> That's my favorite. We're really pulling your weight. <laughs> we are the most predictable and we like our routines. So this is episode 269. Nice. And so the episode topic is 69 nice crimes. Nice. Love it. <laughs> We're 12. We're 12 forever. Yeah. So, so actually any- 69 crimes. Nice. 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 So anything with 69 in the crime at Great. any point counts. Great. Perfect, because she's mine, loose over here. Yeah, mine barely fits. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Also, like, RIP once again, my search history, because I'm like, man stabs woman 50, 69 times. It's... Like, all of my search history is so fucking arrestable. <laughs> the first line of my notes was, my Google is going to explode any day yeah. now. I don't know any what day. I meant by that. It's true. It's I, not I good. never clear out my search history. Oh. I just let it stack up. Yeah. More I cookies, feel like clearing the better. out makes me more sus. Like keeping mm-hmm. it confirms that I am a true crime podcaster. If I clear it out, it's like I'm trying to add something. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? I don't give a shit. You don't want to draw attention. Right. They've heard us say all kinds of weird shit on this podcast. Exactly. If somebody wanted to prosecute us, they- Plausible deniability. Would not have a hard time. <laughs> and the three of us are just going to get married so that we don't have to testify against each other True. in court. <gasps> True. Legal throuple. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. right. I mm-hmm. Trust me, I've been noodling on that one for a while. <laughs> mm. mm-hmm. All right. So let's get to our wine crime pairing for 69 crimes. Yeah. Nice. We are not drinking wine today. If by we, I mean me. I'm not drinking wine today. But I wanted to find a 69 cocktail. So I did some Googling. A French 69. Oh, that'd be funny. But no, I found the Love Potion 69. Ooh. And she contains multitudes. <laughs> and some of those multitudes squirted onto my sweatshirt that I may have ruined. That's We fitting. shall see. Yeah. A squirter. She's a squirter. Yep. <laughs> so she contains two Ooh. ounces of triple sec, an ounce of tequila. And by triple sec, I used Grand Marnier like I always do. I almost always swap those. It's better than triple sec. Tequila, I think I use... Uh, like Hornitos or whatever. It's like the the silver, the clear tequila. Uh-huh. Um, a splash of grenadine. Love. Pomegranate juice and a splash of orange juice, which I actually did blood orange because that's what I always have. Um, a little bit of lime and you garnish with an orange slice. Yum. Oh I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. Mm-hmm. You're gonna Isn't be cute. You're gonna be I toasty need to by the hang end. Hang out with you soon, so you can make me cocktails. Goddamn right! I love making a good summer cocktail, even mm-hmm. when it's 31 degrees. Mm-hmm. So, cheers, ladies, uh, cheers. with your love potion 69. Mm. Oh fuck, oh. that's good. <laughs> Yummer. Happiness. <laughs> tequila and tequila and pomegranate sounds mm-hmm. like a real good combo. It's really nice because like the pomegranate, the orange, especially blood orange, is like really nice and tart. Mm-hmm. Um, and the lime, and then the the triple sec or the Grand Marnier. It just I'm not usually much of a tequila drinker, but it mellows out the tequila a lot. So all this the tequila for me is really doing is adding like a hint of salt. 
Yeah, tequila. You know how tequila I has that tequila like sort cocktails. of salty, yeah, has yeah. sort of a salty element to it. So th- it makes it a lot less sweet. Like when you think about grenadine, orange juice, pomegranate mm-hmm. juice, that seems Very like sweet. really sweet. But when you balance it with tequila, and mm-hmm. I always put like a splash of soda water too. I just kind of like of a little fizz. Mm-hmm. It's but like yeah. a it's like a pinky fruity uh, margarita. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Well. Nice. 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 (laughs) Well, nice. Nice. It all circles back. Minnesota nice. Nice. Minnesota nice. Um, Lucy, what is our background and maybe psych for 69 crimes? Uh, Well, I don't really have any psych, so here's my... Oh, my favorite sound. And with this video, you can see the bones... Mm-hmm. They're, They're so fresh. Snake They're ribs. Elegant. Snake ribs look like bacula, which are um, raccoon penis bones. Yeah. They have a bone in their penis. Mm-hmm. Curved. These are a little th- mm-hmm. more slender. They are. I feel like they would come from a big snake. I think it was probably yeah. a really big snake. That but, yeah. looks like a big snake. Den of Dermis did. Thank you, Lindsay. Shout out. Okay. So 69, also known by its French name, Soissonneuf. Oh, my God. Or as <laughs> Tyler Pween always said, nerf. Tyler Pween. <laughs> <laughs> nerf. <laughs> he was in our French class Wait, and he refused to say nerf correctly. He just said nerf. Nerf. <laughs> That'd be me. Got a little old after six years, but that's okay. <laughs> you uh, were in high school with him for six years. years. Middle school and high school. Oh, I suppose. You took French in middle school? Uh-huh. Wow. Wow. <laughs> You definitely oh, took Spanish. In middle school? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, what'd Did you I? take in middle school? I don't remember taking a language in middle school. I must have. You I've only to. ever taken Spanish. You definitely took Spanish. Yeah. No, I just, I don't remember I things. took French and Jessica was always in my class. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And she too refused to pronounce certain things. So she said the word for happiness as boner. Love yep. it. No strategy. No, no. I mean, that's not wrong. Boner. Yeah. Boner. <laughs> Hilarious in seventh grade. It really Any is. opportunity to just say boner in class. I respect it. Yeah. 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 Anyway, speaking of boners, um, 69 is a group of uh, mostly or usually oral sex positions in which two people or more align themselves so that each person's mouth is near the other's genitals, each simultaneously performing oral sex on the other. As I have said, not limited to oral sex. Also, by the way, I am wearing a poncho because I feel like Dr. Ruth. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Is that like her thing? I mean, I know who Dr. Ruth is, is. but I don't, I'm not familiar with her fashion choices. I think it fits the vibe. I think she's always wearing cozy knits. Mm-hmm. Oh, she mm-hmm. is kind of a cozy sex grandma. Yeah, mm-hmm. cozy sex grandma. That's Love me. That. <laughs> That's you, honey. That's me. I left my chunky rings upstairs. I'm, I'm, I'm upset with myself, but that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> so the participants are thus mutually inverted, like the n- numerals six and nine in the number sixty-nine. Hence the name. Mm-hmm. This position can involve any combination of sexes, but might get awkward for partners of wildly different heights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, been there. Um, been there. Speaking of which, how is that solved? Just curving, not doing that. Well, or the taller, or the taller <laughs> partner cur- has a more severe cur- 
curled. Yeah, curved. with his back. Uh-uh. Rough on the back. Okay. He was like 6'5". Yeah. And like literally enormous man. It, I think I know who you're talking about. You never met him. Oh, you, you've dated some tallies, though. I have dated some tallies, but I'm a smallie. Oh, yeah, so. a smallie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I think, well, as we'll kind of get to it, there's a million different ways to do this position. So, like, you could have been in a swing, for mm. example. Mm. So, if a person's in a swing, they lean back. The flying and then, 69. And then the partner stands with their crotch kind of by the person's head, and then they are standing, and they lean over so the plaster walls and ceiling of our uh, apartment complex, this is my neighbor that I slept with for a hot minute, would not have sustained us. I morning. would have to be in some kind of industrial, mm. like, hangar. <laughs> well, they have An a airplane hangar. to trust any kind of ceiling suspended yeah. swing. You could get a free, uh-uh. a free standing sex swing, though, like my onion chair. It comes with a, its own stand. Yeah, yeah, I you, I don't know. You could I've also, never lived in more than like seven hundred and fifty square feet, so <laughs> this is not gonna work. You could me. also, if you have like one of those inversion tables, yeah, sure, I do okay. want one of those, but for my back, for well, my sexual could, pleasure. <laughs> get stoned with two birds and uh, get just stoned with two birds. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Love that. Um, okay, as we're just talking about, there are a lot of variations of 69. You can do mutual analingus, a.k.a. double rimming, because it turns mm. out there's cunnilingus, fellatio, and analingus. Analinguals. Wouldn't that be, my spatial reasoning is not the best. Wouldn't that be like a circle more? Double you can like kind of get your head between the legs and just a little okay. farther. If you back. just kind of so went a little bit through. farther, mm-hmm. a reach more ass, you would know this. I it's <laughs> not it's not a skill of mine. I am sorry to say. Join, me. but to those who enjoy, there are people listening going, yep, "Live long yep, and prosper." Yeah, yep, yep. oh yeah, eat more ass. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Okay, yep. Just a little, fr- just between the legs. Yep, mm, just got a re- it. Just a, a, a reach through. Yep. Okay. Um, okay, so that's called double rimming. You could also do a digital penetration of the anus or genitals. It's not always oral. Mm-hmm. Obviously, that doesn't count. It counts. It counts. Sixty nine. I mean, it counts as if like you're flipped. You can double up. You can do a little mm-hmm. everything action. It's well, a lot sure. Easier. The mouth gets dry. Have a glass of water nearby. The okay. sixty nine is a lot more about the positioning than mm-hmm. what you're using for the pleasure. Right. You get right. 69 with toys. toys. Yeah, okay. We'll get, yeah. we'll get to the toys. Oh, I'm sure we will. I didn't have a whole lot of research, so I really dragged this one out. But right. I, I have got Great. some interesting things here, I think. Um, obviously, you can do the cunnilingus fellatio move, also the classic. That old chestnut. <laughs> also, I can't imagine why insurance companies denied us. I was just for being pornographic. Bring that up. How dare we they? cannot get covered? <laughs> we tried for two years. We can't even get a, like a reach through of we're, coverage. Yeah. <laughs> we are we're, literally classified. We are classified as pornographic. <laughs> yeah, literally classified as pornography because we sent in our application for these insurance companies the day that foreskin forensics came out. <laughs> I forgot. And they were like reviewing our content. And our this lawyer a- was like, what's wrong with you? Yeah. <laughs> we're able to get health insurance. We can't like insure ourselves in right. other ways. Yeah. <laughs> so we're fine. It's great. 
well, we're just going to roll with it. I don't know. Mm -hmm. We don't really have a choice. Mm -mm. So obviously the pur purpose, more or less, the purpose, the purpose <laughs> is Mouth to it dry. Is to <laughs> the purpose, the pooper. <laughs> Lots <laughs> of poopers in this. That's the pooper. You put your when, mouth on the pooper. Your, when your partner's filleting the pooper. Your partner's pooper pooper. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> the, pur the purpose, more or less, is to experience simultaneous sexual stimulation. So, honestly, so one partner isn't hogging it all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's a it's a Stop it's hagging. a more egalitarian <laughs> sexual it's experience. Equitable. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So surely people have been doing this for a very long time, but the term swazzle nerf is traced swazzle nerf swazzle nerf <laughs> is traced back to a book nice. originally published in French in seventeen around seventeen ninety one, and this book was called the Whore's Catechisms. Love, gonna need a copy. Well, yeah. good luck because I found very little evidence that this book existed. And, mm. well, let me just say this next part before I tell you about that. This book was either written by, and I think the actual author is somebody named, as is listed, it's, quote, Mary Wilson, comma, spinster. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Mary. I know. She wasn't a spinster. She was sexually liberated from yeah, the confines like of it. marriage. Or she was anti, and that's why she called it the whore's catechisms. Oh, I don't know. Maybe. Or she was very pro, ahead of her time, pro-sex. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This book is is more often attributed to a woman named Anne Joseph. Of Green Fer Gables. Theroigne de Mercure. I don't know how to say that. Anne Joseph Thyroid. Almost nailed it. What's Theroigne? Theroigne. I was really close. You were really close. Theroigne. Anyway. She was a Belgian singer, orator, and organizer in the French Revolution. She was also held in an Austrian prison from 1791 to 1792 for being an agent provocateur. Ooh. Love it. So she was like in the newspapers and people knew who she was and she got a really bad rap, which is why I think that they attribute this whore's catechism book to her. I don't mm. think she actually wrote it. Mm -hmm. Okay. But they but were like, yeah, that loud mouth. Broad mm -hmm. over there. Yeah. But I couldn't find hardly anything on the internet about this book or about Mary Wilson or almost anything about Anne Joseph uh, authoring that book. So I don't know. Okay. It's, this, that's all I know. Um, but back to her. She is known both for her portrayal in the French Revolutionary Press and for her subsequent mental breakdown and institutionalization. So she is our kind of gal. I am on my way to being known for this. Yeah. Can't wait. But like I said, the press did her real dirty. And that th th this is why it makes me wonder if she wrote it. I don't think she did. So this is mm. from a quote from Wikipedia. Terroigne. There, I got it. Was Nailed beginning it. to realize that the majority of the supporters of the revolution were interested in the rights of men, not in the rights of women. Beginning in November 1789, the Parisian royalist press began to construct a flamboyant and infamous caricature of Terroigne as a patriot's whore and a female war chief. Wow. All in quotes, obviously. Cool. According to the pages of these pamphlets, she was, 
or sorry, she assaulted the Bastille and led the October Days March on Versailles. She fought soldiers and was, quote, ever to be found where the unrest was greatest, hmm. attired in a scarlet riding habit and black plume. She's cool. the coolest High person fashion. of all time. Mm-hmm. Love that. I want to I want that outfit. Yeah. Yeah. Just marching at Versailles like for, <laughs> for women's my, lib for my 40th birthday which is in a little over 5 years. I'm going to um, be 40 <laughs> in 8 years. Well, it's there. It's there. It's waiting. Let's rent out like a French castle and all wear like costumes okay crazy let's do it very attainable i see no (laughs) obstacles to this plan let's do it riding capes and plumes required i like the and like canes really thin canes yeah Yeah. um okay so she was portrayed as a shameless libertine love that oh yeah who was sexually involved with uh the deputy populace like the general people (laughs) <laughs> and one tabloid wrote that, quote, every representative of the National Assembly may fairly claim to be the father of her child. Wow. Okay, hyperbole. Yeah. yeah. They Calm were down. Really slut shaming her, which yeah. is, again, why I think that she was attributed to this book. Mm-hmm. I love her. No yeah. notes. Yeah. Yeah. She had a really wild life. She moved around. She like taught herself to herd sheep. Oh, there's one in the drive in my folder, Ooh. which will be on the blog. And it looks like her tit is fully out in this illustration, but I think that's just yes. the fold of her top. Well, sometimes they did do that. Oh yeah. I don't know. I think it might have been a little late this period to do that. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, no, her tit is fully out. She's out. Is it though? Yeah. Okay, yep. great. That's a nip. Great. I love it. I titty. mean, she's fantastic. Like, A plus titty. But, like, mm-hmm. at one point, she taught herself how to, like, herd cows just to, like, make some money. Mm. I don't know. She just seemed pretty cool. Like, a very a very uh, dynamic person. The earliest known drawing of the 69 position is from a panel from an oil lamp that is believed to be from ancient Rome. Cool. Also, oh. Classic. Classic they were Romans. they were dirty. Mm-hmm. Oh I yeah, it. was it Caligula? Isn't that ancient Rome? Mm-hmm. I think so. Yeah, yeah. The Kama Sutra mentions the sex position, albeit by a different name. In the Kama Sutra, it says, "When a man and woman lie down in an inverted order, i.e., with the head of one towards the feet of the other, and carry on mouth congress, it is called the <laughs> Congress of a Crow." Mouth Congress. And literally mouth Congress. that is how all I'm of the I'm running Kamas- for Mouth Congress. <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is literally how all of the Kama Sutra is written. So people who are it's like, so oh, boring. it's so boring. No, it is so fucking boring. It's, it's so really boring. It's dry. It's, well, yeah. Sometimes mouths get dry. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Keep when a glass of water. Mouth Congress. Mm-hmm. Mouth Congress. <laughs> I'm running for Mouth Congress. <laughs> Vote for me. My campaign. Amanda I, for Mouth Congress. My name is Amanda Jacobson <laughs> and I approve this message. Will you get yard signs made? <laughs> I'm gonna make you a yard sign. Amanda Jacobson for Mouth, Mouth Congress. Congress. 
and just keep it in your front yard at Talking all times. Absolutely. It's uh, like little crows in the corners. Absolutely. <laughs> Fans, please start designing that political poster. My inbox is open. It's ready. Amanda Jacobson for Mouth Congress 2016. It has to be like red, white, and blue, like really Subtle. official looking. Star spangled yard sign. <laughs> the Nerf Party. <laughs> the Nerf Party. <laughs> Oh, my God. There is also a Hindu temple sculpture um, from the caverns of the island of Elephanta near Mumbai. Elephanta. Very, very cool tourist attraction. Um, And this shows this position with the man actually standing, holding the woman hanging down from, uh, from his shoulders. Too much work. No way. Yeah. Absolutely not. Actually, only if you're... Very petite. I only like it anymore laying down sideways, honestly. That's the easiest. It's the easiest it, way. You, you're not going to pull anything. Mm-hmm. We'll actually get I've to it. Tried it any other way. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of ways. But yeah, the, so the, the the holding, and again, this, this is a lot of binary gender language, so take the, mm-hmm. all that with a grain of salt. But um, everybody's got genitals and everybody's got mouths, so. Everybody can 69 for Congress. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. It's very inclusive. Mm-hmm. So just of the, the strong person holding hopefully the petite person upside down. I found a fact that 2.4% of all reported sex injuries involve this particular position of one okay. person holding the other person for a 69 thing. 2.4%. Okay, good. I okay. was like, good. Nice and low. Yeah. Okay. So be really careful if you're going to try this one because you could easily fall on your head. <laughs> Right. Mm-hmm. Especially mm-hmm. if you're in a shower. We have gotten so many coven confessions about people yep. fainting, doing sex stuff in showers. It's hot. It's slippery. And yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I could get overheated really quickly if yep. in the shower situation. A little pop culture reference for you. On May 13th, 2016, Barack Obama tweeted a graphic that said that 69% of Americans wanted the Senate to hold hearings and vote on Judge Merrick Garland, and the vast majority of the tweeted replies were nice. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> he could have seen that one coming. <laughs> I know. According to mindbodygreen.com, you might want to give 69ing a go if you <sighs> want to be more adventurous in bed or want to reignite the spark in your relationship. Because it's not an intuitive sex position, really. No, you got to connect. Yeah, it's got to be kind of purposeful. If you have a vulva, because a lot of vulva havers have a hard time reaching orgasm with regular partnered penetrative sex alone. So you might just want to. Good alternative. Try something new. If you want to balance out the pleasure ratio, since you literally can't be left out in this position. I mean, Mm -hmm. you can if they're just not doing the work, but there's yeah, no but good reason. But it's supposed reason. to be an all-inclusive resort. Yeah. If, if timing <laughs> is an uh-huh. issue, yeah. timing of orgasm, this mm-hmm. could potentially offer Absolutely. more synchronicity. Absolutely. Also, if you want some bonus stimulation, people are into all sorts of things. This position gives you a unique view of your partner, maybe some different smells, Maybe different sounds of your partner's pleasure. Smells. People, 
I don't know. People, people some like people different like things. to mm-hmm. really get their face in someone's asshole. It's not my thing, but a lot of people get in there. it. Yeah. Get in there. So here are some tips, some 69 tips, but there are not 69 of them. There are like eight. Thank God. <laughs> So you, I know, I was like, uh. <laughs> thank God we are not Cosmo. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so like we were talking about, you can lift your partner, you can squat over your partner, you can use a swing. But the primary thing is for all partners to be comfortable so they can just focus on the task at hand. So like Amanda said, maybe just lying side by side mm-hmm. is best. Also, you can just kind of rest your It's, it's safest. Head. It's safest. Mm-hmm. It's just the most comfortable, probably, mm-hmm. I would think. It's cozy. You're not suspended. No. You're not tensing that's, that's anything. way mm-hmm. too much. Yeah. That, the suspension, uh-uh. Meow. Mm-hmm. Or like uh-uh. squatting Meow. over. Mm-hmm. It's distracting. You can't do it for very long. No, it's too much. Also, at some point, what is you this, might be- the Olympics? You might be right. holding in a fart. What are you trying to prove? If you're yes, holding I, in a fart. Literally every time I have sex, I'm holding in a fart. It's constant. Well. It's constant. I'm always holding in a fart. <laughs> then maybe sixty-nine is not ideal for you. <laughs> Listen, nothing where anyone's anywhere near my genitals is ideal, but <laughs> Bill's just gonna have to deal with it. Comes with the turt trap. Maybe Bill's kink is getting farted on his face. I mean, maybe that would track given our relationship. <laughs> That's his primary <laughs> attraction to you. I mean, <laughs> if I'm satisfying him in that way, good for me. Pheromones are wild. They're Pheromones. nuts. Yeah. Another tip, incorporate pillows or those like sex wedges so that nobody gets mm-hmm. a Charlie horse. Sex furniture is awesome. Mm-hmm. It's expensive, but it's really great. We can also uh, compromise or not compromise. Mm-hmm. Um, what's it called? Improvise. Yeah. Pillows work, but sex furniture is Really nice. Pretty much everything that can be used for back pain can also be used oh, for yeah. sex. Oh, so yeah. I have a lot of wedge pillows. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I don't know what guests think of that, but mm. it doesn't matter. <laughs> yeah, look for things that are not marketed as sex toys, but mm-hmm. probably like lumbar pillows because yeah, it's kind of like how, quote unquote, children's furniture is way less expensive than adult furniture. But right, like, yeah. right. A children's dresser is the same size as it, like whatever. Right. Yeah, it's cheaper. We got our bed from Restoration Hardware Teen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a full size. It's a queen size bed. Yeah, mm-hmm. I should have done that. I got a regular Restoration Hardware bed, and she's gorgeous, but she's been not yeah. cheap. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Another tip: maybe rinse off first because mm. your face is gonna be all up in there. Mm-hmm. And it would also, for me personally, be really distracting if I felt dirty and somebody mm-hmm. else's face was down there. I'm not concentrating on my own pleasure. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's all about people's preferences. Absolutely. Right. But communicate but. that with your partner because mm-hmm. maybe mm-hmm. you love it and they think it's fucking foul. Communication mm-hmm. is key, babes. Mm-hmm. Um, have some lube on hand in case you want to switch away from oral. But be advised. Always have lube on hand, period, full stop. But be advised about flavor, flavored lubricants because a lot of them can cause yeast infections. Mm-hmm. Mm. So do your homework. Mm-hmm. Switch up positions now and then for some variation because maybe there is just a magical angle that you hadn't considered. Like if you're mm. doing the side-by-side thing on the bed and you're getting kind of bored, maybe you go to the edge of the bed and you kind of put your head over so you can – do him while he's standing up and he can do you while he's standing up bending over. Yeah. 
Go on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Magical <laughs> angles. I don't know. Okay. I've never tried that one personally. I'm just using my imagination. <laughs> okay. I really hope my family isn't listening. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Here's just a quote about butt plugs. A simple way to heighten the pleasure of the 69 position is for one or both or all of you to wear a butt plug. This way, whenever whenever your pelvic floor muscles contract from the pleasure of the oral stimulation, you will also stimulate the anal nerves, giving you even more pleasure. If you want to maximize the pleasure, choose a butt plug that vibrates or simulates rimming. Unless you have hemorrhoids. Mm. If if that's your thing. Mm -hmm. So just a little PSA. Oral sex is not going to get you pregnant, but it is also not without its risks. So please get tested regularly and be mindful of the health of yourself and your partner or partners. Consent is always the most important factor when it comes to any sexual activity. So be communicative about your wants and needs before, during, and after intimacy. And I'm going to end my segment with a joke. <laughs> okay. This is it. This is the content. What's better than 69? I don't know what. 77, because you get eight more. <laughs> oh my God. God. We should tell Ariana Grande. She's going to have to write a new song. Oh, yeah. I'll text her. <laughs> Amanda liked it. <laughs> you get eight more. You get eight more. <laughs> Then it's not egalitarian. I can't. (laughs) True. (laughs) So well done. There is my stretch of a segment. (laughs) Fabulous. It's right on topic. I love it. Well done. Thanks. So good. (laughs) I was scared you were going to go back to teratomas. I know. I don't want to cover 69 crimes. So here are more teratomas. (laughs) I will talk about sex positions and flavored lubes all day long. If I don't have to talk about sports. Yeah. That's fair. This is so fair. All right. Well, well done. Let's hear a quick word from our sponsors, if we still have any. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, no. It's silent. (laughs) Y'all, it is finally spring. It doesn't hurt for me to go outside. (laughs) It smells good. It smells good. The sun is shining. I turned off my heat today. I opened all the (gasps) windows because it's, you know, you got to freshen out the house. Uh Uh-huh. And speaking of like freshening and maybe a little refresh, think about uh, the things that you could change that will make you super comfortable, make your home look good, you know? Maybe you need to uh, retire the fleece sheets for the year, finally. Yeah, and that finally. Is, yeah, and that is where Brooklinen comes in. Oh, my God. We are all fans of Brooklinen. Mm-hmm. Brooklinen is home of the Internet's favorite sheets. And there is a very good reason for that. Mm-hmm. It was created in 2014 to give customers luxury hotel level home essentials that don't break the bank. You know, you go to a hotel and you're like, oh, my God, I could stay in this bed all day. The sheets are so soft. The f- towels are so fluffy. Mm-hmm. It's just such a treat, and you can have that luxury at home. They offer everything from snuggly sheets to cozy towels, robes, loungewear, hi, Mm -hmm. accessories, and much more. You will feel like you're living in a hotel Mm. in a good way. Yep. And by working directly with suppliers, Brooklinen cuts out the markups and passes those savings back to their customers so you get their incredible products at a reasonable cost. I gotta say, I love their sheets. I have their sleep mask. I just like everything that Brooklinen creates, but 
that bath towels. Mm. They're the kind of towels that the more you wash them, the fluffier they get. I don't know how they do it. Yep. But they also have bath sheets. They're kind of thin. They dry really quickly. And I'm those are obsessed great with for the, the bath sheet. Yeah, they're great for the summer. Mm-hmm. Oh, so trust us, you got to give Brooklinen a try. For real. So go to brooklinen.com and use promo code GALS to get $20 off your purchase of $100 or more. That's B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com and enter promo code GALS for $20 off your purchase today. Brooklinen, the curators of comfort, and treat your sheets. Treat them. I really honestly don't like shopping for clothes. Mm-hmm. Like in a store. I don't like undressing in public. Mm-hmm. And then if you don't try it on there or if you order something online, you never know if something is going to fit. Then if it doesn't, you got to return it. That's annoying. Yep. And sometimes you just don't even know where to start. I have a hard time branching out from my normal black leggings and oversized crew neck sweatshirt. For real. Yep. And it's how I just want somebody to tell me what's going to look good on me mm-hmm. because I'm like unable to figure that out for myself. Yep. So this season... Join me and let Stitch Fix do all the hard work for you. Seriously, it is the best and it's so easy. It's super fun. Just like dive in, get started. First, you take a few minutes to set up your Stitch Fix style profile. This allows you to like answer a couple questions about what you like to wear, what you don't want to wear, how open you are to trying new styles. It gives your stylist like an idea of where to start. Then Stitch Fix's expert stylists will go to work finding items exclusively for you. Every piece is handpicked for you and is unique to your size, your style, and it's in your budget. It's making it the best way to discover clothes to make you look and feel your best. I used to have a friend who was a Stitch Fix stylist. She loved it. <gasps> Fun. Yeah. So like this is legit. It's not like a robot that's picking out your stuff. Like it is people like experts that are picking out good things for you. And you can message them. You sure can. And Stitch Fix will send you five pieces to try on at home. You keep what you love and you send back what you don't. They make it so easy. There's already like a pre-labeled, you know, pouch for you to put your clothes in that you don't want. And the shipping returns and exchanges are easy and free. I just hand it to my mail person. It's done. Yeah. Plus, there's no subscription required. You could try once or you can set up automatic deliveries. There are no hidden fees ever. I have the automatic delivery set up because I just love the treat of each month, you know, or each season being like, oh, my gosh, my Stitch Fix box is here. What have they picked it's out so for me? Fun. It feels like a care package it from really like is. somebody who knows you. Yeah, from like a stranger who actually knows you better than like you know yourself. It's nuts. Mm-hmm. Uh, so st- sign up for Stitch Fix and get the season's latest pieces for everyone. Women, men, kids, everybody in between. So sign up today at stitchfix.com slash gals G-A-L-S to get $20 off your first purchase. That's stitchfix.com slash gals to get 20 bucks off your first purchase. This is a limited time offer. Purchase within two days of sign up and treat your wardrobe. Treat it. All right. Well, we're on to my case uh, about another young woman who is super admirable and cool and whose life was cut short by an awful man. Mm. Okay. So literally the only connection is that it took place in 1969. <laughs> You're welcome. Nice. Love it. Love. This was your idea for an episode. I know. And this is what I got. Okay. You did great. It's fine. It's It's perfect. (laughs) It's an interesting case. It's just not fun. It's quite dark. 
So anyway. Fabulous. Right. Jane Britton was born in 1945 in, in Needham, Massachusetts. Oh, ever don't heard of her? Don't you have relatives no. there, Amanda? Where? Needham. Oh, no. Needham, Massachusetts. No. I don't need them. I love him. I also love him. Her father, J. Boyd Britton, was vice president of Radcliffe College, one of the prestigious Seven Sisters schools and, like, the women's counterpart to Harvard before they, like, let women in. And have still rad. Have rad. And her mother, Ruth Britton, was also an intellectual and also worked at Radcliffe and was a visiting scholar of medieval history. Ooh, so cool. her parents are smarties, and she's a smarty. Uh, Jane had a typical upbringing for a well-off New England girl. When she was not in school, she spent her time cultivating various accomplishments, including riding horses, painting, and playing the piano. Ah, What an overachiever. What a lady. After Jane graduated from Dana Hall School, a private all-girls school in Wellesley, Massachusetts, she followed her parents' footsteps and enrolled at Radcliffe, mm-hmm. which she would have gotten in no matter what, but, like, her dad's the vice president. Sure. Anyway. My father will hear about this. <laughs> but she was super qualified and would have gotten in no matter what. As an undergrad, she studied anthropology and distinguished herself as a dedicated and talented student. Okay. After completing her senior thesis on comparative methodologies in studying Perigordian cultures. Wow. So, like, the Perigord is a region, and then this is an umbrella term used for, like, upper Paleolithic and late Stone Age cultures in that region. Because there's a lot of, like, rock art. Oh, cool. Whatever. Interesting. Where is this region? In France. Oh, cool. She graduated... Magna cum laude, and was accepted to Harvard's graduate program in anthropology, which is a big accomplishment for a woman in the 60s. Mm -hmm. Jane's specific area of interest was Near Eastern archaeology, and during her first year in Harvard's program, she was one of the doctoral candidates chosen to accompany her professors to a dig in southeastern Iran. Wow. Wow. Cool. That's wild. Yeah. I and hope she is- wore a wide-brimmed hat and, like, white khakis. linen shirts, mm-hmm, khakis mm-hmm. rolled up with, like, Big Like belts. a beige scarf around her neck to keep sand off of her chin. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Good for her. So the dig in Iran turned out to be extremely consequential, and the team uncovered the ruins of a fortress that was once captured by Alexander the Great. Whoa. So a hugely successful dig. Uh, Jane herself was later credited by the leader of the dig, a man named C.C. Lamberg-Karlovsky, which we will get back to him. So remember Lamberg-Karlovsky. Okay. Okay. The Lamberg baby. Yep. (laughs) He was also her academic advisor, and he credited her as being responsible for one of the project's most important finds on that dig. And I don't know what it was, but she, she was the one that found something cool in her square of dirt. Nice. Sure. Okay. Her square. Uh, Welcome to my dirt square. Also, I read conflicting reports about whether that professor liked Jane or not. And if he did like her, if his like for her was like, 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 or like, like, like. like. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm. So we will get to it. When she was not traveling for field work, Jane lived in a fourth floor apartment with her pet turtle and pet cat. Oh, that's really cute. 
So cute. <laughs> in a building owned by Harvard at Six University Road, for which she paid $75 a month. Wow. Must have been nice. Seriously. I paid in t- 2011, I paid $725 a month for one bedroom that didn't have a closet mm-hmm. in in this area. It's all nuts. It's fine. It's cool. It's whatever. For um, a single bedroom or a one bedroom apartment? No, a single bedroom in an apartment with roommates. With other people. Yuck. Yeah. Yeah. Ugh. She began dating another student in her program named James Humphreys. She also liked her neighbors, uh, two other classmates that she'd become close to. They were a married couple, and they were both her classmates, Donald and Jill Mitchell, and they lived in the apartment next to hers. So she had a great little thing going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, with her kitty and her turtle. Despite the numerous prestigious universities, Cambridge, Massachusetts at the time had a reputation as a relatively unsafe city, which is not the case anymore, but like Somerville Next to it has parts that are, like, very much all, you know, prestigious university students and then other parts that are, like, a little more run down. Mm-hmm. Is that like- where your sister lives, Amanda? No. Oh. My sister's in Melrose now. She used to be in Charleston. It's where we had a show. We had a yeah, show in Somerville. That's, it's, like, major oh. college area. Okay. So I we were like, there. Yeah, we were there, and I, and I lived there. Mm-hmm. Got it. So, okay. So parts of Somerville are a little more towny and a little more run down and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, shit goes down and people can easily take advantage of students because they're seen as like rich and dumb and drunk mm-hmm. and vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the time, Cambridge was like that as well. And she had had a, like a really sheltered childhood in the fancy suburbs. Um, and now she's living there on her own in her own first apartment. So the building where Jane and her friends lived would later be described by various news sources as, quote, decrepit and unsafe. Oh, just Ooh. like your ha- your childhood home. Yeah. <laughs> Decrepit. Dilapidated. 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 That's where I grew up. It's fine. God. <laughs> Littered and dingy and seedy and roach infested. Okay. Not a great building. I've had lived in a roach-infested building. It's this, not it's that fine. Bad. This it's is worse fine. than what you've lived in, and we're about to get to it. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> so, in 1963, a Boston University student named Beverly Sammons um, had been raped and murdered in that very building, and she is now known to have been one of the victims of the infamous Boston Strangler. Wow, weird. Yeah, is well. that what you're covering? No. Well, I mean, th- this happened before Jane lived there, but mm-hmm. someone had was raped and murdered in that building by the Boston Strangler. Whoa. Sure. So when Jane moved in, the building had no buzzer system and no locks on the outside doors, despite, like, numerous pleas from tenants over the years and, like, what had happened in 1963. They just didn't up security at all after that murder. Sure. Great. And then the lock to Jane's apartment was flimsy and barely worked to the point that she often didn't even bother using it. Oh. Cool, 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 cool. So that's not great. Not great. This lack of security in the building was especially concerning as street crime had been on the rise in the neighborhood of late with numerous Harvard and Radcliffe students reporting being victims of muggings or attempted muggings that year. 
And actually, according to Jane's friends, she herself had had a run-in with a mugger while walking on campus, but she was able to fight him off with a pen knife. Ooh. Good for her. Yeah. Scary, but. Really scary. I have another friend who fought off a mugger with a knife. Dang. Jesus. Not in that area. That was in Buffalo, New York. I almost had to when we were in Chicago. You, me, and Aaron. Oh, yeah. That's right. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were being followed by that creepy guy, and you were like, let me see how big my knife is. Like, did I show you guys my new Leatherman? Look how big the blade is. And I, like, got it out, was, like, brandishing it, and the guy and fully turned around turned and walked away. and got the fuck out of there. It was great. I love it. I mean, also, maybe he felt threatened by me for no reason, but he was definitely following <laughs> us. Speaking well, of. The folks at home, I'm eating a blood sugar snack, oh, so okay. get over it. It's fine. <laughs> so you don't die. Mm-hmm. Recently, I was taking the trash out, and it was the middle of the day, and I was taking the trash out to my bins in my backyard, and there's, like, a back alley, and I had to, like, break down the boxes for recycling, so I had big scissors with me. Because Zach mm. hadn't done it. This is one yeah, job. Classic. No, he does not do a good job with the trash. <laughs> and um, this guy was... I mean, he looked unhoused. I don't know, whatever. He was minding his own business, but he was walking down the alley kind of towards me. And I, without thinking, just like waved, but I waved with the hand that was holding these massive scissors. Oh, no. Oh, God. (laughs) I was trying to be friendly. And he turned around. You're waving like this. (laughs) Oh, no. Oh, well. Oh, you. <laughs> Did you yell and apologize? No, but he was. Did you chase yeah. him down to apologize? He nope. To the <laughs> fuck out of there. I mean, Bummer. Anyway. I would have. Poor guy. So, okay. So aware that the situation with her apartment was unsustainable and she, like, had to move, mm-hmm. she had begun, like, thinking about looking for a new place and a better building But she just hadn't quite started that process yet. She's busy. She's in school. And she really likes her neighbors. They're her close Mm -hmm. friends. So that kind of like slowed down the urgency of looking for a new place. But she didn't really want to go. Yeah. So then on the evening of January 6th, 1969. There it is. Nice. Love it. (laughs) Jane, who is now 23 years old, and James Humphreys, her boyfriend, went out to dinner with a group of friends from the program at a nearby restaurant. After dinner, James and Jane went ice skating before walking back to Six University Road. This is just like the perfect evening. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds really nice. James stayed for about an hour after walking Jane home, then left around 11.30 p.m. to return to his own apartment. And then Jane went next door to the Mitchell's apartment for a nightcap. And had some sherry, and the friends hung out until about 12.30 a.m. Cute. And then she, a lovely evening. Isn't that a yeah. great evening? Yeah. I'm going to go ice skating and then have sherry with my neighbor friends. Right? I know. but And first, a big dinner with, like, a bunch of friends and your boyfriend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's a great evening. Yeah. So then she goes, I don't know if, well, they were her next-door neighbors, so I'm guessing she just, like, goes across the hall back to her own place at around 12.30 a.m. The following day, January 7th, was an important exam day for all the students in her program. Uh, These exams mark the end of the classroom portion of their doctoral degrees. Mm. And then after these big exams, then they would just work full-time on their dissertations 
before their dissertation defense and then they're done. Mm-hmm. So it's like finals. It's mm-hmm. like their big finals before the dissertation. Yeah. And so everyone in the program was shocked when Jane didn't show up to sit her exams that morning. Mm, yeah, not like her. No. So James called her repeatedly, uh, worried. You know, he got no answer. And so he finished his own exams because, like, back then, I don't think they're, they were lenient at all about rescheduling. Mm-hmm. So he f- finishes his own exams and then went directly to Jane's apartment as soon as he finished a little bit after noon to check on her. Mm-hmm. He found her apartment door unlocked, which was not unusual. But when he entered, he found Jane face down on her bed with her nightgown pulled up over her head and then both a rug and a fur coat spread over her upper body. No. Like piled over her upper body. Jeez. So believing that she might be sick, like hoping, I think in denial at yeah. this, this scene, he went next door to get Jill Humphreys, or not Jill, Jill Mitchell, um, and asked her to be the one to take a closer look at Jane because I just don't think that he was like believing what his eyes were sure. seeing. And maybe he was like trying to be the nice, polite boyfriend, be like, oh, her, you know, she's in a state. I don't want her waking up to me. Right. Yeah. Like she's unclothed below the waist and like this is crazy. Mm -hmm. So he gets Jill to come take a look. And then Jill quickly realized that Jane was dead and appeared to have been bludgeoned in the head. Oof. So this was confirmed by the Cambridge medical examiner who noted multiple lacerations to the head and like underlying skull fractures. So she was not strangled. Right. So she wasn't killed by the Boston Strangler. Well, as far as we know, as far as well, yeah, we we now know that she was not. But that was obviously like a theory. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Jane's death was ruled a homicide by blunt force trauma. And it was also determined that she had been raped before her death. Her time of death was estimated to be about 10 hours before her body was discovered, which would be only about an hour or so after she left the Mitchell's apartment and went back to her own apartment. So, like, either someone broke in soon after she returned home or they were lying in wait for her mm-hmm. in her apartment. Ew. Or they, like, kind of followed her down the hallway. That's so creepy. Well, it was right next door, so I think she would have noticed somebody else in the hallway, but... Yeah. Yeah. Ew, lying um, in wait. Ooh. I yeah. hate lying in wait. Lying in wait is the worst. Not great. Well, they could have been lying in wait all damn day. And she was kind of gone for a long time. She was gone mm-hmm. from, you know, dinner and then after dinner all the way till Ugh. 12.30 a.m. Nope. Nope, 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 nope. Um, so this was backed up by the fact that while Jane's blood was alcohol-free, her stomach had a 0.08 percent alcohol content and that was from the nightcap that she'd had at the Mitchell's apartment Mm. um, suggesting that she died before it could even be metabolized so she died very soon after 1230 a.m. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. So robbery was ruled out as a motive because all of her valuables remained in the apartment however a stone that Jane had brought home as a souvenir from the Iran dig Mm-hmm. was soon discovered to be missing, leading investigators to consider the possibility that this might have been the murder weapon. <gasps> no! Killed with your own stone! From your big successful That you were way proud dig. of. Yeah. That's like 
It's a really heartbreaking case. She just was a very Your favorite, cool, mm-hmm. interesting, talented young individual. You know, mm-hmm. I could be killed mm-hmm. with this stone. You could. Be you have killed so with that. many be killed murder with weapons in your house. Your entire oh house is murder weapons. No, they're everywhere. Uh-huh. I look. Yeah, everywhere. My entire house is choking hazards. Mm. Great. Great. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, okay. So forensic evidence was limited back then because it's 1969. But investigators did find a set of fingerprints that did not belong to Jane nor to anyone else who was known to have been in the apartment. So not not the Mitchells, not James, Humphreys, you know, close friends, whatever. They, like, tested mm-hmm. it against people that were supposed to be there. Not the cat nor the turtle. Not the turtle. <laughs> they couldn't get much out of the turtle as a witness. He was really a slow talker. <laughs> he tucked back into his shell. Yeah. Like, slower than Johnny Depp on the stand, let me tell you. Is he slow? I haven't watched he talks any of it. so slowly. That entire case is so fucking irritating to me. They're both bad. They're you don't nuts. have to take sides. They're both toxic. They were I mean, in Amber a- Heard is, like, arguably worse. Yeah, but, but like, they are okay. both nuts. I just, ugh. The whole it was thing. a toxic. Her lawyer is just a embarrassing relationship. He's such an Idiot. The, her lawyer is so bad. I love it. Anyway. Anyway. Whatever. I don't Not care. covering that. We don't care. I we don't, don't care. Would rather talk about teratomas. Mm-hmm. Interviews with the neighbors yielded the information, like not just her friends, the neighbors, though they were also interviewed, but like wider neighbor interviews in the mm-hmm. building, yielded the information that a child in the building believed that she had heard someone on the fire escape that evening. Ooh. And that another neighbor had witnessed a man about six feet tall running away from the building at about 1.30 a.m. Ew. So much of the press coverage of the case focused on the shocking fact of like this beautiful and brilliant Harvard student being the victim of this crime. Mm -hmm. But there was also intense focus on one bizarre detail of the case. Here we go. That had been leaked to the press. Here we go. And this was the fact that Jane's body, as well as several surfaces in her apartment, had been sprinkled with a reddish brown powder that was no. later identified as red ochre. What? Yeah. And there's a photo in my... It, is that like a... Is it like a mineral? Yeah. Like, imagine like very red dirt. Okay. Do you see Weird. the picture? Yeah. Jane's advisor, remember the guy who led the dig... CC CC Lambert Karlovsky. There are photos of him on the drive. Do you see him? Mm. Oh, the color is almost like curry. Yes, I see him. Yeah, it does look like red curry powder. Curry almost, powder. But it's like dirt. Cool. Or mineral. I don't know. Whatever. Some geologist is screaming. <laughs> so her advisor, Lambert Karlovsky, was interviewed by the police. And he noted during that interview that in some cultures, including those of ancient Persia, which like he studied and she was studying, well, she she wasn't studying that as intensely as he was, but mm-hmm. they had gone on this dig in Iran, so ancient Persia. So some cultures spr- sprinkled such a powder over the dead as a funeral rite. <gasps> so to him, that was significant. Like a cultural significance, yeah, connection. Yeah, but ancient. Interesting. Yeah. Creepy. 
also a piece of a grave marker was found placed by Jane's body. And I believe that this was also just like an item that she had in her apartment. You know, because she just had a bunch of cool archaeological shit. Yeah, that's true. I love her. I probably have that somewhere in my house. (laughs) Let's be honest. Yeah, someone could pose my corpse with a bunch of weird shit. shit. It would be such a stunning tableau. Mm -hmm. I kind of want to. Yeah, we'll pose you. Don't worry. Mm. We'll make sure you get posed. <laughs> Perfect. I knew I could One count on you guys. One more photo shoot. Portrait Say mode. Say no more. Yeah. Portrait Say no more. mode. Want one all together with on your square? with your macabre tableau? <laughs> Amanda would do it because I would I would I would find the objet and Amanda would take the photo. Mm-hmm. Done. Put it on square so we can post. Oh, obviously. <laughs> okay. So these details that he like mentioned in his interview to police led to speculation that Jane had been killed by another archaeology student or perhaps even C.C. Lamberg Karlovsky himself. Mm. Because again, there were like all these rumors that he maybe like pursued his young female students or... Mm -hmm. And I don't know. I don't want to like disparage this man if that wasn't the case or if the rumors... Yeah, disparage away. <laughs> or if those rumors started after Jane's death or before her death, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So Lamberg Karlovsky recalled or called this speculation, quote, completely fabricated and without foundation. But nonetheless, police requested and were provided with a list of students and faculty in the department who would have had knowledge of the red ochre funeral rite. And that okay. was like a lot of people in the archaeology department because... That's their job to know that. Yeah. Right. Anyway, Cambridge police also filmed Jane's funeral service in case any of her classmates or teachers attended and acted suspiciously. Mm-hmm. And then James Humphreys, the boyfriend, and the neighbors, the Mitchells, were given lie detector tests when interviewed about the events of the evening prior to the murder. And I'm assuming they all passed because James and the neighbors were never really considered suspects. Got it. So three days after the murder, Cambridge police announced that they had found the stone that was believed to be the murder weapon. However, they didn't reveal where because they were trying to like limit information released to the public after the red ochre shit got out to the press Mm -hmm. and like caused a frenzy. So a neighbor of Jane's would later recall that, quote, very few people at the time thought it was somebody random who came in and killed her. Everyone thought it was connected to the anthropology department. I have a question. Yeah. The ochre obviously, well, I'm assuming isn't like native to the area. No. Did she have that in her apartment or did the killer bring it with? I believe, I think she had it in her apartment. Okay. Unless it was an archaeology, a fellow archaeology student and they brought it in. Okay. Mm. You know, I don't know. But for it wasn't, for now, it wasn't, it wasn't naturally occurring. In the vicinity. It was placed. Yes. Well, was it on her or was it just around? Like it was sprinkled over her and around the apartment. Okay. So it was put there after she died. It was put there. Definitely the the sprinkling on her body. Probably. Mm. Okay. We will get to it. Okay. So with little new information emerging from the police, news outlets turned to speculating about the possibility that... 
the growing counterculture scene in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Oh, oh my, my God. God. Which is like so laughable now. But it's 1969, so the press is like, it was the hippies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The hippies did it. It was a satanic ritual. Yeah. Could have had something to do with the murder. So they had hypothetical scenarios of like this wholesome young student who played the piano, like being killed by some hippie on hallucinogens like marijuana. Mm. Mm, the devil's lettuce. <laughs> the devil's lettuce. <laughs> so one of Jane's friends um, did agree to a reporter that, quote, she knew a lot of odd people in Cambridge, the hangers-on and the acid heads, who you would not call young, wholesome Harvard and Radcliffe types. She went to a lot of their parties and she was very kind to them. So she just was like a nice person and had like an eclectic friend group. Mm -hmm. But this is... That's just stupid speculation. Never be kind. <laughs> That's what we've Literally learned. Literally never. <laughs> so then, further fueling speculative news stories, one month after Jane's murder, an eerily similar crime occurred nearby. <gasps> More ochre. A 50-year-old woman named Ada Bede, a former research secretary at Harvard, was found raped and beaten to death in her apartment about a mile from Jane's apartment. Whoa. No. Her body was found in a similar position to Jane's with her nightgown pulled over her head and then blankets piled on the top half of her. Ooh. Ugh. So this led to theories that the two murders were related or even that the Boston Strangler may be active again. But she and, was bludgeoned oh. also? She was also bludgeoned. But the Boston Strangler, like, went after... Women of all different ages. Mm -hmm. So I think that's part of, and it's, you know, Boston and whatever. Yeah. At this point, a man named Albert DeSalvo had since confessed to being the Boston Strangler and to killing 13 women, including the first woman I mentioned, the one who had been killed in the building in 1963. Mm. But there have always been doubts about his confession, and many people believe that a second killer could have remained on the loose and that actually the Boston Strangler was more than one person not oh. not working together, but just the cases copycats. getting... Like copycats or just like, oh, coincidentally, two serial rapists. Similar. Right, MOs. right, yeah. similar. Right. Yeah, it's true. Could I've be. always wondered how they can so for sure's link crimes like that, especially... Without DNA evidence. Yeah, I think that's why they keep they keep details secret from the press so that if like the blankets piling detail on the upper right. half of the body, if that's not reported widely, then, you know, at least it's not a copycat. Mm -hmm. It might be. Yeah, that's one way they do coincidence. it. For sure. No, I know. But just uh, I don't know, especially like watching true crime shows where it's like after the fact, like after they had caught somebody. If you're mm -hmm. looking back at the investigation, it's just really interesting to me how investigators tie different crimes together. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Whether or not it's a copycat thing, whether or not the public knows about it, I just think it's really... Well, it's, super, it's super interesting, and I'm sure that they don't always get it right, especially because, mm -hmm. like, there are killers who change their MO, which we've talked mm -hmm. about. Yeah. Especially if they're, like, escalating or whatever, or, like, learning. These two, I think, do seem linked Mm -hmm. But we will get to it. So 
This theory didn't really go anywhere. Police refused to comment on the matter, and eventually both cases went cold and faded from the public's attention. Then in the late 1980s, when DNA testing became widely available, the semen sample from Jane Britton was tested, but Mm. it turned up no matches to known offenders. And the database wasn't as big back then. It was like literally just known offenders. Mm Mm-hmm. A similar uh, retest in 2006 also didn't turn up anything. And then in the early 2010s, there was a resurgence of interest in the case from both professional journalists and, like, amateur web sleuths. Mm -hmm. Billy Jensen. (laughs) Who reached out to Cambridge police for copies of the original records. And then all these requests were denied because the police were like, well, technically it's an ongoing investigation, so no. And that was kind of like pre-big investigative podcasting days. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's pressure on police to release information on the case. And eventually that did lead to a decision to retest the D- DNA evidence for a third time. Okay. So in 2017, improved testing technology allowed investigators to get a soft hit on a Ooh. suspect who might have been a match for the DNA collected in the Jane Britton case. And what that means is that they got a a very close match to, well, we'll get to it. Okay, so the suspect was a man named Michael Sumter. Uh, There's a photo on the drive. Mm -hmm. He's a convicted rapist who had died in 2001, so he's already dead by the time they're doing this test. Mm Mm-hmm. He died shortly after being paroled after serving a sentence for a 1975 rape in Boston. Uh, so around the same timeline. Mm-hmm. 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 Investigators were able to track down a living brother of Sumter's and asked him to provide a DNA sample to help confirm the match. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. That familial DNA, baby. Yep. And the brother the brother agreed, thank goodness, because <laughs> I don't think they- DNA, baby. I don't think they had a warrant, but (laughs) the brother agreed. And the results were a close enough match to the DNA from the crime scene that authorities (laughs) could declare with almost near certainty that Sumter was, in fact, Jane's rapist and killer. Dang. All those years later. And, like, so much of her family is probably dead at that point. From 1969 to 2017. Yeah, that's really sad. There's just like a lot of people who didn't, who went to their graves without closure about what, who did this to her. Yeah. That makes me sad. So while he was alive, Michael Sumter was convicted of two rapes, but DNA evidence has since also connected him to two other unsolved, before his death, rape murders in the Cambridge area, in addition to Jane's. Wow, he was busy. He was a very busy serial rapist and murderer. Busy beaver. So yeah. at, a, at a 2018 press conference, the county's district attorney announced that Michael Sumter had officially been identified as the person responsible for the 1969 murder of Jane Britton. Police have declared, however, that Sumter is not considered a suspect in the Ada Bean case. So what? I think they had I think they had a semen sample from that case and they tested it and it didn't match him, even though the MO... She was, was very the similar. Same. She was the same. Weird. Well, very different age. Mm, true. Did With they find 20- ochre on her, on Ada? No. no, it was just the nightgown and the blankets. Okay. Yeah. I would and I assume covering the face. someone with available items is probably not super uncommon. Well, right. I was kind of... 
not that this is a scene that I wanted to picture, but like if he if he were to come up behind and with the intention of sexual assault, lift up the nightgown and then put something over their head so they can't really move and you can't hear any screams. And they can't see your Mm -hmm. face. They can't see Mm -hmm. your face. Right. So maybe it's not that weird. As for the red ochre dust at the crime scene in Jane's case. Yeah. What the F? Police consider it, consider it a red herring. Was it hers? She. It was probably hers. It could have yeah. been residue from her painting hobby. Because red ochre is a common like pigment mm. in paint. It could just be like she could have had some kind of other rock or something from another dig. And he, you know, in the tussle, yeah. it kind of got spread around. Maybe yep. a window was open and a breeze came in and blew it because it's a powder. Maybe. That could maybe. happen. Maybe maybe he did sprinkle it around. Yeah, maybe but, he was like, this is cool. Right, but it was just opportunistic. Maybe he Weird. did know about the ancient Persian funerary maybe. rite. We have no indication that he was <laughs> any kind of expert in ancient Persian funeral rites, but maybe as a hobby. <laughs> you never maybe know. He, you too, you don't know. had undiagnosed ADHD. I yeah. don't know. Maybe he hung out in a lot of libraries. Yeah. In between his... But it Ex- just exploits. It was a red herring that like led people to cast all this suspicion on mm-hmm. everybody else, and it was just not related. Definitively well, not wild. relevant. He successfully got away with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, with that one specifically, but it right. sounds like he had he served time for in and other, out. Yeah. For yeah. other well, rapes. Should have used like ochre just... on all of them. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yikes. So still. <laughs> yikes. <laughs> Yikes. Um, So rumors uh, persisted about Jane's murder and grew into something of a legend at Harvard because it went unsolved for so long. So between 1969 and 2017, Mm -hmm. this legend of this like brilliant archaeology student, you know, gruesome murder, gruesome murder. On like a college, near a college campus. That's like rife for urban legend. Right. Especially killed with her own like study Materials. Unsolved for years. Her yeah. like it checks special every box. Persian stone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So a writer named Becky Cooper published a 2020 book about Jane's murder called We Keep the Dead Close. And she recalls how when she herself began attending Harvard nearly 40 years later, Jane's story was told like not the real story, but like the embellished the legend, legend mm-hmm. story was told as a sort of caution, quote, cautionary tale about the dangers that faced women in academia. Mm. The story that Cooper was told, which is not true, we now know, looking back, was that Jane was having an affair with Professor Lamberg Karlovsky while on the Iran dig, and mm. then, quote, when he tried to end the relationship, she wouldn't let it go, so he murdered her. Mm-hmm. then hid her body under his coat and carried her to his office. Again, this is a legend. This is not actually what happened. Mm-hmm. There, he adorned her naked body with necklaces that they'd unearthed on the dig. He covered wow, her in drama. Red, he covered her in red ochre, a powdered pigment found in ancient burial sites. Harvard covered it up and the killer went free. Am I the drama? I don't think I'm the drama. <laughs> Am I the villain? <laughs> Again, none of that is true. Yeah. That is the legend that that formed. And it probably sucked for that professor because mm-hmm. he continued 
professing at Harvard yep. for many decades after Jane's death. and With people spreading this shit about him behind his back. And he got tenure and apparently people were like... Up in arms up about a it. A little pissed off that like this quote unquote suspected killer and he was never named a... A, a person of interest. Yeah. yeah. Got tenure and all this stuff. So Cooper went on to say that Jane's story was quote still so alive in the community because it was an exaggerated horror movie version of a narrative that was all too common. Mm-hmm. And, like, I would watch that movie. Um, e- without yeah. question. It sounds really good. Mm-hmm. So this author would eventually interview Lamberg Karlovsky for her book, and um, I think he just kept saying, like, look, all of his rumors were completely unfounded, and, right. like, that sucks. Kind of fucked with it, my life. It does suck. In in examples like this, because all you can really say as the as the person who who the general population suspects is like, it wasn't me. I don't have I any do theories of my own. Right. All I can tell you is that I didn't do it. The fuck do you want from me? Well, it's another right. example of like, if you are being interviewed by police mm-hmm. and even if it seems like a very friendly Interview. Don't offer alternate theories. A friend of the victim. Don't offer any theories. Nope. You have no idea what could have happened. Mm -hmm. What the police know. They're going to Brendan Dassey you. Yeah. Oh, a thousand percent. Do not speculate wildly. Let me tell you. Just don't talk to cops without a lawyer. Mm -hmm. Just don't do it. Yeah. Not worth it. It's not worth it. So Jane's brother, reflecting in 2018 on the role that rumors such as these had played in the investigation of his sister's murder, said, quote, a half century of mystery and speculation has clouded the brutal crime that shattered Jane's promising young life and our family. The DNA evidence match may be all we ever have as a conclusion. Learning to understand and forgive remains a challenge. Yeah. It's like that is really really heartbreaking. Especially, too, because like, her killer was already dead yeah. when they figured There's it like out. There's like no closure. Yep. 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 Wow. Ugh, so sad. Brutal. Yeah, so 1969. Woo! Oh, yeah. Oh, nice. yeah. Nice. We understood the assignment. I know. <laughs> I know. I had to go back to my roots and do something very tragic. Don't I liked worry. it. It's been a while. Yeah. I will keep that energy alive. Nice. Great, great, great. So should we take a quick break? Let's do it. Do your words from our sponsors? Yeah. Let's do it. Our sponsors? So I like to think of sort of my favorite go-to things to grab out of my closet as like your favorite burner on the stove. Like it's mm-hmm. it's that it's you know it you know it's gonna work you know it's gonna com- be comfortable it's gonna be easy it's like your go to item for me it's basically black leggings you know it, you trust it I do it's I safe. trust it exactly and for third love that is their twenty four seven classic t shirt bra this thing is so comfy. It's their number one bra for a reason. It offers unparalleled comfort thanks to every unique detail in its fit, its style, its function, its design. This is loved and worn by millions of people with boobs. It doesn't pinch or dig. You will not want to take it off the moment you walk in the door. I have fallen asleep in this bra. That says a lot. You like forget it's on. It's nuts. The 24-7 t-shirt bra is designed to fit and form to your body because every detail has been made with ultimate comfort in mind. This is ultra-thin memory foam cups that give you boobs everyday comfort and support. These luxe straps that do not slip. 
it is so smoothing. It looks invisible under like whatever t-shirt you're wearing. And it's available in cup sizes A through I, including Third Love's exclusive half cup. So you're going to find one that fits. These half cups are a total game changer. They're a miracle. First of all, I had been wearing the wrong size bra for I don't even know how long. Mm -hmm. But I took their fitting room quiz, which is super fun, very easy. It talks about different aspects of your boobs that you might not have thought about, like the shape. Mm -hmm. Every boob is different. Yeah. And it like varies singular boob to boob. I have two dramatically different boobs. Oh, yeah. Love them. And did you know that your bra size can change six or more times in your lifetime? Oh, yeah. And that 80% of people with boobs are wearing the wrong bra size. And I was one of them. Mm-hmm. So Third Love makes it easy to find a bra that actually fits with their fitting room quiz. It's like a personal shopper, but even better. So like I said, it focuses on size, breast shape, current fit issues. If you got the gaps, mm. if you're if the band is too tight. Mm-hmm. And then also your personal style to find bras that are perfect for you. They have the cutest like Art Deco inspired lacy things right now. Oh, so cute. They're so adorable. Adorable. I am currently wearing the Pima cotton uh, wireless bra. Mm-hmm. And Love. let me tell you, these are my black leggings of my boobs. Yeah. It's amazing. Third Love off- also offers the perfect fit promise. So you will love your fit guaranteed. And if not, exchanges and returns are free for 60 days because honestly, bra shopping is hard. They make it as easy as possible. You got you to gotta try it out. Absolutely. So feeling is believing. Give your boobs the 24-7 comfort and support they deserve. Upgrade your bra today and get 20% off your first order at thirdlove.com slash gals. That's 20% off at thirdlove.com slash gals and treat your boobies. Treat them. You know, dedicating even a few minutes to yourself every day mm-hmm. can go a long way. If it's just like getting outside, taking a quick walk around the block. Mm-hmm. I don't know, taking a taking a, a couple extra minutes in a hot shower. Yep. Or like putting lotion on your arms. Yeah. You know, just did like. That, did that this morning. So did I. It's mm-hmm. just a little bit of self-care and it just kind of makes you feel good. And it doesn't take that much time or effort at all. No. Similarly to care of. And Care Of is here for support however you spend your you time. Absolutely. Care Of is a subscription service that ships high quality personalized vitamins, supplements, and powders conveniently to your door every month. I cannot rave about these powders enough. I have like the collagen matcha powder. You love a powder. I do love a powder and I love a matcha latte. So I will like, you know, get up in the morning if I'm not feeling coffee, which I'm often not feeling coffee right away at the top of the day. Mm -hmm. I will uh, steam up my almond milk and then put in my scoops of this matcha powder. I stir it and I have like a hot, fresh matcha latte with all kinds of like extra wonderful things for my body in it. It's You're a barista. I am basically a barista. They make it so, so easy. And then I am also, we know this, we know this. I am like such a noob about vitamins. I was just like <laughs> grabbing gummies at the store and having no, like, does it sound like it tastes good? Cool. I guess I'll take that. You're like, try like when you try, you're, like your cat has to take a pill. Yes. That's like you. Yeah. I have to wrap <laughs> it in, in Wonder Bread to Bacon. like get it down. Yeah. No. <laughs> but Care Of makes it so easy because all you do is take a short but in-depth quiz about your health goals and your lifestyle. And then you get personally tailored recommendations based on your answers. So then you can stick with what Care Of recommends 
or you can change up your pack at any time. And the packs are so cute. They're so convenient. They like sort your meds for you and put them in these little compostable daily packs so that you literally, it could not get any easier for you to take your vitamins every day. I love them for travel, too. Yep, yep. Yeah, just ke- keeps your keeps your health the top of mind when you're on the road. Yeah. So for 50% off your first Care Of order, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter code GALS50. That's G-A-L-S-5-0. One more time, for 50% off your first Care Of order, go to TakeCareOf.com and enter code GALS50 and treat your health. Treat it. So, 69 crimes. I'm going to pick something super funny, right? Uh, Wrong, bitches. Woo! (laughs) I am going to talk about the Gypsy Hill murders, and my connection to the topic is super loose. Don't worry about it. Here we go. Okay. So, the year is 1976, not the connection to this topic. Okay. (laughs) And it was a bloody one in San Mateo County, which is near San Francisco. Over the course of that year alone, five young women and girls were killed all in a similar fashion, leading investigators and the community to believe they had a serial killer on their hands. The murder started early that year with the first victim found on January 8th, a young woman named Veronica Cassio, she was 18 years old, who was found deceased in a creek on the Sharp Park golf course with 30 stab wounds. God, 18 stab mm-hmm. wounds at Sharp Park. Yep. Oh, I don't like that. That same month, 14-year-old Tatiana Blackwell went missing from her home in the same Pacifica area that Veronica was found deceased. God. Tatiana's body was found months later off of Sharp Park Road in the Gypsy Hills area of Pacifica. So these, the quote, Gypsy Hill murders, it's because of the region, like the area, the neighborhood that they were found is known as Gypsy Hills. She had also been stabbed multiple times. 14 years old. 14. God. In February of 1976, 17-year-old Paula Baxter never made it home from play practice at Cappuccino High School. Her body was found two days later, nude, behind a local church. Ugh, Jesus. She had also been stabbed multiple times, and there was evidence of sexual assault. Think about how often as teens we were just like, Wandering around. Out and about. Doing our at thing. At parks, walking home from school. We were feral. We were alone all day. Yeah. In the summer. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. oh my God. Especially in the summer. But like even during the school year. Mm-hmm. When you said that she never came back from play practice from high school. That, I felt like it was me. I know. I pictured yeah. you walking home, Amanda. Home. Walking mm-hmm. home from path. play practice through the woods. Because there's yep. just a there was quick a little jaunt the woods. through the woods from the high school to your house, but it was mm-hmm. through the woods. Yeah. Anything could happen. Yeah. God. You never know. God damn it. Though she had been stabbed, her cause of death was blunt force trauma to the head with a chunk of concrete. Ew. A few months later, on April 1st, 19-year-old Denise Lampy was found dead in the parking lot of the Saramonte Center shopping mall with 20 stab wounds. Person is like this killer is just they were all really violent, right? Really violent, really violent, really rapid. This is all in one year, and all towards young women, like totally out of their minds. Yep, brutal. Yuck. Mm -hmm. Okay, Mm -hmm. frenzied, Mm -hmm. frenzied, frenzied. Yeah, this is definitely like I think this would fall in the category of maybe a spree killer because it's very like rapid fire spree serial 
murders. I don't remember exactly what qualifies it. Maybe but this not because like, there might be technically like enough of a cooling off period, but not maybe. much if it's yeah, if it's, it's April first and then May sixth. I don't yeah, I don't think it, it's a spree technically. But yeah. I mean, it feels like it's one. close. To kill this many people in one year feels like a spree. But it's, I get what you're saying. It's disturbing yeah. enough. Exactly. Then on May sixth. 26-year-old Carol Booth is found in a shallow grave in a South San Francisco park after having been reported missing by her husband two months prior. Oh, my God. Yeah. And while these five victims are the only ones at the time to have been solidly linked to one another and attributed to the same killer, there are likely at least two other victims that uh, have not yet been confirmed. Well, one who sort of has, and we'll get to it. 19-year-old Michelle, at the time of these murders, it hadn't been confirmed. 19-year-old Michelle Mitchell, who went missing from Reno, Nevada on February 24th, 1976. So outside of the Gypsy Hill area. Uh-huh. But in but the time period. In the time period and in the MO. So, okay. And- so, sorry. Back to the spree thing. Mm-hmm. Actually, maybe it would technically be a spree because we've got February. We've got somebody who went who disappeared in March, mm-hmm. but wasn't was likely found killed, but wasn't found May. It's like every month. Yeah. Or every, or month every or two so. weeks even. Mm-hmm. Ugh. Yes. And then I seem to remember that there wasn't like a specific definition of a spree killer. Yeah. It was loose. We'll count it. You know what? It feels like a spree. Yeah. Because a spree killer, uh, says commits two or more murders without a cooling off period, but the definition of a cooling off period is really really loose. loose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, we count it. Yeah, count I'm it. counting it. Great. 19 year old Michelle Mitchell, who went missing from Reno, Nevada, on February 24th, 1976, and was found in her car in a parking garage in Reno with her hands bound and her throat slashed, and she'd been stabbed. A woman named Kathy Woods later confessed to this murder and went to prison, but was released 35 years later in 2015 when DNA evidence cleared her. What? Women and don't normally we'll, do that. We'll get to Kathy, but Kathy was 60. Eight years old when she was released and is still considered the longest ever wrongfully imprisoned woman in U.S. history. Was this and still your, not to li- was this your still connection? Still not the link to this okay. topic. Okay. <laughs> still not the link. Six, I'm, I, I'm teasing it. I'm hey, teasing it. I didn't, I didn't get that. That was funny. I get it now. I didn't get it at the time. I was like, that's a really weird pause. Okay. Got it. Got it. Got it. It's speculated that this may have been a Gypsy Hill killer murder, and we will get to it. This Michelle Mitchell in Reno. Mm -hmm. And finally, Adele Friedman, 21 years old, who was found dead in her apartment in San Francisco on March 17, 1976, after having been stabbed and sexually assaulted. Her body was discovered only two days after Carol Booth had been reported missing, so the timeline definitely syncs up. And there is some crossover in the M.O., but this could not be completely confirmed as a Gypsy Hills murder. Okay. All of the murders shared eerie similarities that clearly defined the killer's M.O. All of the victims were women between the ages of 14 and 26. All were brunettes. Many were found after being discarded in wooded areas in the Gypsy Hills, San Mateo County area. Other reports said that many of the victims that were of driving age had complained of car trouble or mentioned car trouble before going missing oh no so he's following he's he's planning it he's stalking Uh, them he's either either he's stalking them and fucking with their cars and fucking with their cars or they were crimes of opportunity they were they had legitimate on the side of the road 
Mm-hmm. Oh, shit. Yeah. Or they all drove Toyotas. Maybe. (laughs) And despite the city being on high alert and investigators searching high and low for the killer, lack of forensic science and the killing stopping fairly abruptly after this like year long spree meant the cases went cold. All of them. All of them went cold. But that overturned conviction of Kathy Woods, her release in like 2014, 2015 sparked a reopening of this case and reevaluation of the remaining DNA evidence collected at the crime scenes. So the DNA that exonerated Kathy was taken from a cigarette butt found at the scene of Michelle Mitchell's murder. So this is the woman in Reno. Okay. The DNA on the cigarette matched DNA taken from semen collected from two of the victims in the Gypsy Hill murders cases. Oh, shit. And was con- yeah. And was confirmed to be the DNA of a male because it's, you know, well, a binary male. male right. Yes which cleared Kathy despite her false confessions years earlier. And we'll get to why she... Okay. We'll get to all of that. This new DNA discovery did lead investigators to a solid suspect, a man named Rodney Lynn Halbauer. Hate it. Yeah. Hate everything about that. Oh, Rodney is the worst. We'll get to it. Rodney. Who looks at a little baby and thinks, That's my Rodney Rodney Lynn Halbauer. Rodney Lynn. Rodney Lynn. (laughs) The Lynn. Rodney Lynn. (laughs) They were able to make a conclusive match to Rodney Lynn, Damien Faye. Rodney Lynn. It's just not good. I know. It's so (laughs) bad. There's nothing good about it. (laughs) It's so not good. And I'm so sorry to all of the Rodney Lynn's listening right now. All of the Rodney Lynn. Yeah. We're going to have a real, real hit (laughs) on downloads. We're going to have to publish an apology to all the Rodney Lynn's out there. I just don't. After this, I don't trust a Rodney Lynn. I just don't. (laughs) No. It's not good. Not after this. Not, Not after, after this. this. Before, Before this. Before I was, you know, <laughs> Gave skeptical. Gave him the benefit. <laughs> yeah. Skeptical, but leaned toward benefit of the doubt. Now, can't, nope, never met a Rodney Lynn I trusted. I've also <laughs> never, never met, met a Rodney, Rodney Lynn. Lynn. I don't know if I've ever met a Rodney. <laughs> I, have, I haven't met. I've met a Rodney. I, I've met a Rodney. I didn't ask his middle name. So oh, shit. It was probably Lynn. I'm going to find out. <laughs> Okay. Rolls off the tongue. Okay. Either way, Rodney Lynn. <laughs> it does kind of roll off the tongue. That'd be a good name for a pet. The more we keep saying it, the more Rodney I kind of like it. Rodney Lynn, stop digging in the yard. <laughs> Rodney Lynn, get back over here. What was the name of that donkey video I sent you, Amanda? That was like, it was like, P- Penelope Elizabeth, quit biting your brother. Oh my God. Yeah, she had the best Oreo name. Elizabeth or something like that. <laughs> Why does Rodney Lynn sound like a toddlers and tiaras like toddler beauty pageant name yeah yeah rodney lynn rodney don't lynn. flip off the judges lynn lynn <laughs> <Kenna> tinsley <laughs> okay we anyway keep going yeah yeah we got this so they were able to make a conclusive match to rodney lynn because he was incarcerated in oregon since 1989 where he was serving 90 years for rape and attempted murder and had to provide DNA samples at intake. This is a very wild, what was it, recidivism Mm -hmm. situation, and we'll go over the timeline, so just roll with it. He's serving 90 years and he gets out? We'll get to it. Great. He was charged with, well, he wasn't serving his 90 years until 1989, which is more than 10 years after this spree in the 70s. Okay. 
So he was charged with two counts of murder and rape for two of the five known victims in the Gypsy Hills murders, Paula Baxter and Veronica Cassio. He tried to argue that he couldn't have killed Michelle, Michelle Mitchell in Reno because he was incarcerated at the time. But it turns out that's pretty easy to like, you know, crash check. Mm-hmm. And while he was in prison in Reno, he had fucking escaped and stolen a car to make his way up to Oregon. Hmm. So many people so, escape. I yeah. know. Oh, yeah. What the, the hell? Roughly, it's so nuts. Like, is it just, can you just walk out? I don't get it. I think it's some the roughly, cases people just walk out the front door. Yeah. The roughly 72 hours that he was quote unquote free because he'd escaped perfectly coincide in timing and location with the murder of Michelle Mitchell. So and he thought his, he was being all clever and yep. actually they were like, dude, you were there and the cigarette butt has your DNA. And the on first it. thing you did when you escaped prison was, was to rape someone. and murder someone. You fucking idiot. Ugh. He was caught in Oregon and returned to Nevada until he was paroled in 2013 and sent back to Oregon to start his sentence for crimes committed there. And that is where he was when the DNA was linked to him. And we will go over the timeline because it's very confusing. At the time Rodney was linked to these murders, he was 69 years old. Bing, 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 bing. (laughs) So they discovered that he was the connection to all of these murders in like 2015 at the, and he was 69 when they figured this out. I'm glad I talked about the sex position because we (laughs) We never would have come remotely close to this. (laughs) Hey, teratomas, baby. It's fine. So the trial was an absolute shit show. This man is clearly unhinged, but he was deemed sane enough to stand trial despite his disruptive outbursts throughout, firing multiple public defenders, insisting on representing himself, and having judges literally tell him, no, you cannot represent yourself. No, sir, you are not capable to represent yourself. We're not letting you do it. Yeah. You're the too initial annoying. trial. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, You're and too annoying. He's like so unhinged. He didn't make any sense. So the initial trial in California was delayed multiple times due to his outbursts. He yelled, quote, I am not guilty. And I wasn't here for that period of time. <laughs> and my personal favorite, he's a liar. <laughs> in the middle of the prosecution's arguments, <laughs> which like I'm disrupting actually surprised court, doesn't happen more often. I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, quote, I have never raped or murdered in my life to the jury in an outburst that briefly disrupted court proceedings, leading to a request for a mistrial by his lawyer and claims by the prosecution that the outbursts were staged. Yeah. The mistrial request was denied. Basically, the judge was like, no, you don't get to just start screaming and then, and then like, get a set mistrial. up your own mistrial. That's not how this yeah, works. Yeah, as soon as you feel things going south, you don't just yep. get to, like, have an outburst and get a do-over. Correct. Yeah. So in addition to his outbursts, Rodney was often heard laughing throughout his court appearance, which is just fucking creepy. And then when Rodney Land, when asked repeatedly to shut the fuck up, he responded, I've always told the truth. I can't be quiet. I don't know how my semen got on those victims. Got in those victims. Oh, my God. It's the worst. Rodney had received psychiatric analysis several times over his 50 plus years of on and off incarceration before his trial or this particular trial. So he just was he was in it. He just could not. Mm -hmm. We'll get to it. Okay. He was always in fucking prison. Okay. 
In these evaluations, it was determined that he suffered from, quote, a severe personality disorder with a propensity toward criminal behavior, you don't say. He is absolutely a delusional narcissist who, despite little education and a complete lack of basic job and life skills, quote, feels that he's pretty accomplished, that he should be able to teach, and that he has a great many qualifications, end quote. And he yearned to be a famous artist or a rock and roll star. You know, whichever comes first. Yep. The easy stuff. The report concluded that Halbauer's life is, uh, quote, life is replete with poor impulse control, narcissism, and a certain grandiosity. Obviously. I'm going to be a rock star artist. Yeah. Sir, no, you're not. Yeah. SoundCloud. Sound, yes. You can join my ex on SoundCloud. <laughs> and you have you two so have much fun. in common. Yeah, you'll have tons to tackle. You about. both have a certain grandiosity. Uh-huh. And narcissism. <laughs> mm-hmm. So Rodney Lynn has a wild timeline of criminal activity starting at nine years old, quote, in his hometown of Muskegon, Michigan, when police picked him up for breaking windows in a cottage. Nine. At nine years old. And like I was running around doing dumb shit when I was nine, but I wasn't like breaking windows. Getting arrested. No. At 13, he stole and crashed a car for which he was sent to a juvenile detention center. that I did. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> but it's not your fault. The wheel fell off. It wasn't your fault. No, I did not steal a car at 13. No, but the wheel did fall off of your car. But he ran away shortly after being sent to this detention center. From there, his life has been a constant revolving door of prison stays and escapes. And for someone who claimed to have, quote, never raped or murdered in his life... <laughs> His record certainly says otherwise, and here is a comprehensive timeline of Rodney Lynn's criminal history from the Ventura County Star. So 1948, Rodney Hallbauer is born on June 27th in Wisconsin. Rodney Lynn. In Wisconsin. Of course. Uh, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. There it is. And then moves with his family to Muskegon, Michigan a few years later. 1964, he's sent briefly to adult prison in Michigan after violating terms of that juvenile court probation for stealing a car. So that's when he stole and crashed the car. Wait, so when he he was 13, he was sent to an adult prison? I think it might have been... He was only 14. Wait, no. Around that time. Briefly sent to adult prison. I'm not sure. It could have been a different... Yeah. 16. Okay. Because he broke out of... Like, he broke out a juvie, stole a car, and crashed it. And I think that's when they were, like, well, oh, trying to put the fear of God in him. So another... We're going to send you to... Got it. Yeah. Briefly to adult prison to try and do the, like, scared straight thing, right. probably. Okay. 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 It, I mean, and also, it was the 60s. Right. Like, who fucking knows? 1965, he was convicted of breaking and entering in Michigan and sentenced to five years in prison. 1970, he is convicted of robbery, sentenced to four years in prison. 1970, escapes from prison, this is in Michigan, and fathers a daughter, sires a child. Consensually? I guess. Okay. I don't know. There wasn't more information on that. Okay. 1975, he's paroled from Michigan prison and he heads to Nevada. December 1975, he's arrested for the rape of a Reno blackjack dealer and she was not killed. She was able to implicate him. He was freed on bail pending trial. No! Yep. January through April 1976, this is when the Gypsy Hill murders are taking place so while he's out. hadn't bailed him out, if they hadn't granted him bail for a rape, mm-hmm. he never would have been able to commit these rapes and murders. Well, and not even like, I have conflicting feelings about bail, but 
this guy has such a history and like if they had expedited his trial or held him until trial, then yeah, this wouldn't have happened. I think rape is a violent enough crime. I agree. I think there are certain, I mean, I think part of eliminating bail is having certain crimes where you have to stay in jail pending your trial and there should be space for that. And that trial has to occur within a given amount of time. Exactly. And there should be space for that because so many of the folks that are just not able to afford bail on petty offenses where they're not even convicted yet. Cash bail is aren't there. It's fucking horrible and yeah, yeah. But, but this guy should not have been out and about. Period. Full yeah, stop. Exactly. He should not have. He exactly. Well, also looking at his timeline, as soon as he gets out of prison, he, does he it breaks again. the yeah. law again. It's that impulse control thing. Yeah, he's been doing it since he was nine. Like, come on. Yeah, we he's have records in the sixties and seventies for a mm-hmm. rape. Is he's out in January. On, yeah, free, out in January, freed on bail, and then begins this spree of January, February, March, April. Yep, yep. Rapes and murders. Yep. So he's there doing that. Then May 1976, when his like trial actually happens for the rape in Reno, Rodney Lynn is sentenced to life in prison in Nevada for the rape of the blackjack dealer, which explains why the Gypsy Hill murders abruptly stop. Yeah. At, at like spring of 76. June 1977, he escapes from Carson City, Nevada prison. This is when he kills Michelle Mitchell immediately in like the two days he's out. Yep. July of 1977, I guess he escapes again or gets like, I don't remember exactly Hi, what He's happened. escaped what like a half a dozen I don't times. Know. Oh no, June and July. So he's Late gone for June. a month. Yeah, late June to early July. So July 1977, he's arrested for kidnapping his seven-year-old daughter in Muskegon, Michigan. So he leaves jail, rapes and kills Michelle, heads to Michigan, takes his daughter, Mm -hmm. and authorities drop the charges for this kidnapping in exchange for his return to Nevada to serve the rest of his rape sentence. So they, like, negotiate. It's like, don't worry about adding these charges. He's serving a life sentence anyway. And Michigan's like, fine, just get the fuck out of here. Yeah. December 1986, he and another inmate escape again from Nevada State Prison in Carson City. Rodney steals a car, drives to Jackson, Oregon, where he rapes and tries to kill a young woman. Keep this man behind bars. Yeah. Stop letting him escape. What the fuck? Mm-hmm. It's, it's March as of if 19- these jurisdictions are not communicating with each other at all. I know. And I get that it's like the 80s, the 70s and 80s. There is like an internet database, but we have phones for fuck's sake. And this guy just is keep a him, fucking- Just don't let him escape. Yeah. Fiend. Yeah. He's- Well, yeah. It's like he should be under maximum observation yeah. because clearly he keeps getting out. Yeah. March 1987, an Oregon jury convicts Rodney of the rape and attempted murder, and he is sentenced to 15 years in prison in Oregon. He is returned to Nevada to serve the rest of his rape sentence. So November of 2013, he's paroled from Nevada prison, but only to be sent to Oregon to serve his 15-year prison sentence for the 1987 rape and attempted murder conviction. I'm glad they didn't do, like, I'm glad it was consecutive sentences Mm -hmm. and not... Concurrent. Well, technically, the the Nevada case was supposed to be a life sentence or like 90 years, but it wasn't. It was like you're eligible for parole after X amount. of Yeah, time. it was from. The so 70s they just went ahead. And, yeah, I think they just went ahead and paroled him and they were like, he keeps fucking escaping from here anyway. Like, just please, goddamn, take him Oregon. Like, please, Jesus. Mm-hmm. 
So this is when Oregon authorities obtain his DNA sample on intake. March of 2014, the FBI announces that DNA evidence links Rodney to the Gypsy Hill killings. And January of 2015, Rodney is formally charged with these murders and transferred from Nevada prison to jail in Redwood City to await trial. And Kathy Wood is released because he's connected to the Michelle Mitchell murder. So Rodney received two life sentences without parole in California. And currently at the age of 74, Rodney is incarcerated for the two river in at the two rivers correctional institution in, is it Umatilla? I don't know. Oregon? Probably. Okay. Uh, completing the penalty for his previous rape and attempted murder conviction. According to the Oregon Department of Corrections, his tentative earliest release date from there is May 14th of 2026. Following this, Rodney would be, if he's released from there, immediately returned to California to begin his two life imprisonments in state prison for Paula and Veronica's murders. So reasonably speaking, if he doesn't escape again, he's never getting out. He's he. Yeah. As long as he doesn't escape, no matter what, he's never getting out because it will also be an additional life sentence, three life sentences. If he gets extradited to Nevada Mm -hmm. before he leaves Oregon and goes to California, Mm -hmm to stand trial for Michelle Mitchell's murder in 2019. Mm-hmm. Or sorry, no, I, I skipped something. If he, if to stand trial for Michelle's murder, but he was supposed to go to Nevada to stand trial for that murder in 2019, but things always get delayed and then COVID happened. Mm-hmm. So I just don't think it's been prioritized since he's behind bars for life regardless. Mm-hmm. So it sounds like he's still in Oregon mm-hmm. and eventually will be sent to California will be sent to California or will first be sent to Nevada be, you know, stand trial for killing Michelle Mitchell given a sentence there and either serve it there or go to California and serve his life sentences there. Either way, he has minimum two, possibly three life sentences under his belt. So just keep an eye on him. Yeah, seriously. I hope he gets extradited soon. The door for real. Quit leaving the fucking door open. I hope he gets extradited soon, though, so that Michelle's family can finally have closure that, mm-hmm. like, her true actual killer is held responsible for this crime. Mm-hmm. And then that whole thing got me curious about Kathy Woods, yeah. the woman who served 35 years oh, for yeah. killing Michelle. Yep. So what happened here? Why did she confess to a crime she didn't commit? Well, we've done the false confessions crimes episode, and this situation is pretty much like checking every box. Like, it's exactly what you would expect. So this is just a segment from the Los Angeles Times. It says, quote, It was 1980 when Woods was convicted of killing a young woman four years earlier in Reno, where Woods worked as a bartender. Prosecutors claimed Woods slit the throat of 19-year-old University of Nevada nursing student, excuse me, Michelle Mitchell, after she rebuffed Woods' sexual overtures. In time, Woods would become America's longest-serving, wrongly convicted female inmate, according to the National Registry of Exonerations. For certain, it was a murder she did not commit and a prison sentence she should not have served. Yet it was a bloody crime to which she, quote, confessed in a statement written by police. Mm -hmm. Criminal justice experts say her case raises questions about how police interrogate the mentally ill and is a troubling reminder that wrongful convictions do occur and that people sometimes confess to crimes they did not commit. Police did not tape record Woods' interrogation, and her, in- her case inspired a bill in the Nevada legislature in 2017 that would have made recordings uniform and man- mandatory. Mm-hmm. The bill by Assemblyman Steve Yeager, a Las Vegas Democrat, was backed by the ACLU and Nevada Innocence Project. 
Jaeger said it would protect people who are more vulnerable and susceptible to false confessions, including juveniles and those with mental limitations. Kate Hickman, the county's deputy public defender, said that when the police officers testified to the jury, they said Miss Woods did not appear mentally ill. They did not see the mental illness in her. She wasn't wearing her hat. Yeah, her I'm mentally ill. <laughs> I am not well hat. Right, her I am not well hat. <laughs> she wasn't wearing her pin. Yeah, yeah she, had, she hung her hat on the hook and then they just couldn't have known. Ugh, I am oh going to keep my hat on just in case I get interrogated. Mm-hmm. They did not see the suggestibility. They did not see that she got every single detail, including the color of the car and the inability to tie a knot in a rope incorrectly. Like, they saw it. They just didn't fucking care. So they, they wanted just, they to they close their case. They so wanted she, the clearance. So mm-hmm. she was convicted of killing a different woman four years prior, and she... No, this is all for Michelle. Yeah, it's all the same woman in It's all the in same Reno. woman. The one who got her mm-hmm. throat slit in the car. Oh, so Kathy Woods never killed anybody. No, no. never. The detective's ability to come and testify, quote, she told us this without a jury hearing it from her was incredibly damaging to her and played a huge role in her being convicted of a crime she did not commit. So when she, after she was sent to prison, did she fight it? I'm not sure. I didn't, I mean, I'd already done a whole case, so I didn't right, really right, dive right. that much deeper into it. I, I hope she did, but Are, without DNA, what are you going to do? Did you say she was in, unable to tie a knot in a rope, physically unable Correctly. to do that, or tie, I don't know. or tie, or the whatever knot, the knot was you know? that was tied that yeah. had tied Michelle's hands. Oh, she okay. couldn't recreate the knot. There was a lawsuit filed for about this long wrongful conviction after she was released. Woods's lawsuit claims that interrogators failed to advise her of her right to silence, ignored her request for an attorney, wouldn't allow her to leave the room, and used her debilitating mental condition against her. Police wrote out of the out ugh, police wrote out the admission of sorts using their notes and memories. Woods never signed the document, but investigators testified that their account reflected what she said during her interrogation. What? She never even uh-huh. signed it? Never even signed it. <gasps> How? The, that is so the, fucked. Uh yeah. At the time of her arrest for this crime, she was housed in a mental ward at Louisiana State University Medical Center in Shreveport, Louisiana. She later said she had bragged of committing the killing in the misguided belief that by appearing dangerous, she would get her own room. So she spent 35 years in prison because she wanted her own room in a mental hospital miles away. So she confessed to a murder that she like read about in the newspaper. Yeah, a murder that happened in Reno while she's in Shreveport. And cops were like, cool, case closed. Oh, my God. And then was in prison for 35 years. (gasps) Can you even fucking believe? Like, Whoa. it's so wild. Like, the fucking audacity of this hack, hack job. Like, I just cannot at Heck. all. Was she a lesbian? Was she attracted to women? And that might be part of why they I'm not sure. It could her? be. I mean, that was, that was the police. That was their claim. That, that was, was the their cop story. Right. Yep, that was their claim. Whether or not that's true, I do not know. Because, again, I only I just found right. this one article and pulled clips from it. But I would be interested in diving deeper into this case, maybe for like a drunk dive. Yeah. Because it's fascinating. It's fucking tragic. Like what happened to her is disgusting. It's it highlights everything that's wrong with the justice system. It's just such a fucking mess. That's crazy. Isn't it nuts? Like it's nuts. I can't. Anyway, that's my case. 69 crime. 69. Yay. So lighthearted. It's been so 
Oh. Well, you just never know what episodes are going to be lighthearted and which will be dark as fuck. Yep. Yep. It's fine. We go crazy. Oh, Kathy. I see her picture. Mm-hmm. Well, special thanks to us. Indeed. Oh, so many seeds in my drink. And we'll talk to you next week. <laughs> see you yes, then. Yes, we will. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Wine and Crime. Our cover art is by Kala Yip. Music by Phil Young and Corey Wendell. Editing by Jonathan Camp. Check out our website and blog at wineandcrimepodcast.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at wineandcrimepod. If you have questions, answers, or recommendations to share, email us at wineandcrimepodcast at gmail.com. Episodes are available on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, basically wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And if you like the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts. It is the best way to spread the word. If you'd like to show your support, visit our Patreon page to keep this podcast and the wine flowing. Cheers. Cheers.